Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. And as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today grew up in Centerview near Compton and Carson in California and was a member of the Bloods Gang. He credits his mother and football for saving him from that life. He played football for Kansas University and was the fifth overall pick for the LA Rams and also played for the San Diego Chargers. In 1992, he attended a tryout for the TV series American Gladiators and was cast as Saber, a character he portrayed until 1997. He went on to appear in other TV series like Family Matters, Renegade, Babylon 5, and Sons of Thunder, as well as portraying Jax in Mortal Kombat Annihilation and Mortal Kombat Federation of Martial Arts. Today, he spends his time as a motivational speaker, is the CEO of the Forever Noble Foundation, and the founder of Point Blank Ministries. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Lynn Red Williams. How are you doing today, sir? I am well. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, kind of what we like to do with all my guests, I want to go back to the very beginning and I want to know where martial arts started for you. Where did that first spark come from, that first interest that kind of kicked off your martial arts journey? I cannot talk about any journey that I've I've been on without talking about my mom. Okay, Okay. so listen to this. This is a true story. I'm getting goosebumps uh, right now thinking about it. My mom, who was raising her boys, you can say by herself, because her and my dad got a divorce in 1972. So she won a free two-week trial membership for the Chuck Norris Karate Studios. And my younger brother, who's 14 months younger than myself, we were able to go to Chuck Norris Studios in Torrance, California for two weeks for free, which was a big deal. And so that just happened to happen right when Bruce Lee became famous. Right after we started karate, Bruce Lee became famous. So I was literally, genuinely in the big kung fu karate rage that the United States hit in 72 and 73. Wow. So did you, before that happened, like before you took those two weeks, did you know what karate was? Did you know who Chuck Norris was? My dad and my big brother were macho men. Okay. And boxing was in our house. So, you know, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, you know, uh, Joe Frazier, the, the, the boxers got most of our attention. But the first time I saw a karate movie, <laughs> that was it. You know, I, I actually got a taste of it with uh, Cato. In, yes, um, Green Hornet. Green Hornet. Nice. You know, so I was always intrigued with karate, but never really was exposed on the level that I got exposed to once we got the two-week trial for Tang Sudo Korean Karate. So what do you remember about those two weeks? What was it that kind of stood out about? And and honestly, Tang Sudo was my first style when I was 10 years old uh, in 1984. That was the first style I started also. Now, you asked a question that seems pretty generic, but it's pretty deep. Mm-hmm. What I remember the most about the two weeks was that we didn't have a karate gi like the other kids. 
and we were black. And I, as I remember it, I don't remember seeing another black kid in our classes in Torrance. It was just my brother and myself. And so that kind of pushed me to want to be the best kid ever, not saying that color has anything to do with it, but we looked poor compared to the other kids okay. because they had uniforms and geese and we didn't. But there was a, a teacher named Ross Adilio. He probably won't remember me because this is 50 years ago if he's still alive, but he liked me and he encouraged me and he told me I was fast. He told me I hit hard. He told me I was smart. You know, um, so after the two weeks, we, we stayed a little longer, but moms couldn't afford it forever. But that lit the candle. Okay. So then how long was it before you got to do training again? And, and did you practice on your own even when you weren't going to class then? Every day. Nice. Every week I did karate. And, you know, you hear about Quentin Tarantino talk about his movie experiences when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. We went to the same theaters when we were kids. And I didn't learn that until after Quentin and I became, you know, friends. But he went to the Carson Twin Cinema like I did. Now, listen to these movies that I saw in those theaters. Mm -hmm. The Chinese Professionals, um, uh, Seven Blows of the Dragon, Five Fingers of Death, uh, Fist of Fury, Return of the Dragon, Enter the Dragon. I can go on and on and on with the different movies that I saw. Chinese Hercules, uh, (laughs) you know, look, Mm. Game of Death, even though it was chopped up to pieces. You name a Kung Fu movie and I was at, and every kid would be in the lobby doing karate that they saw on the screen. And I felt a little more special because I had certain things that they didn't like. Okay. 60% of my weight on the back foot, 40% on the front foot. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, don't block below the waist with my hands, you know, raise my knees, you know, just little things like that, that I knew that the other kids didn't. Not to mention, I made my own nunchucks out of broomsticks that we cut up. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I made mine so out of a, out of a, mine was made out of a wind chime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was all in with, with, with karate and martial arts. See, and I, I just I envy you just seeing those movies. Like my, the only one out of everyone you met, I've seen them all, but the only one I actually got to see in the big screen was Enter the Dragon. And I just told another guest this. I just saw it on the big screen about three weeks ago when it came out for the 50th anniversary showing and my local theater showed it. Otherwise, I had never seen any of those movies on the big screen before. So what an experience to see them back then when they were first coming out. So cool. Well, let me say this. Bruce Lee passing away was devastating. Mm -hmm. It was devastating. Every kid in the theater, when Bruce Lee came out, knew this man was special. Do you understand what I'm saying? He, oh, yeah. he, he was an actor. He was a guy that could make you believe. I actually listened to this crazy thing. I'm a kid now. When mm-hmm. Bruce Lee passed away, I was, I was not a kid anymore. He passed away. Yeah, I was like 10 years old. 73. Um, when he, when he passed away, 73, I was 10. And going on 11. And one of the rumors, because, you know, I'm all into the magazines and everything. You know, I'm a, I'm a karate buff. They said that he had, one of the rumors was he got killed by something called the vibrating palm, mm-hmm. where you get hit with this blow and you don't know the effects of the blow until later. You know, <laughs> yep, I remember and that. Then, then I heard another story that he faked his death to get away from the people who said that he was teaching martial arts to the white people. And that was against the rules. So he faked his death and he would come back in 10 years in 1983. So now fast forward to 1983, I'm 20 years old, a grown man. And I held hope that Bruce Lee would come back. (laughs) That's awesome, man. That would have been quite the story and and made a lot of people happy. That's for sure. (laughs) 
Yes. It was so sad when he passed away. It was it was more than sad for a kid that's 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And he was literally that guy. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Yeah. See me. Unbelievable. We kept hoping it was a mistake. Yeah. And I was born in 74. So I I didn't even feel the impact of that until I was a teenager when I really started. I mean, I I started martial arts at 10. I I had heard of Bruce Lee, but until I actually started like reading his books and doing more stories about him and and stuff. I think it was probably about 90 or 91 when it, I think it was like 15, 16, when it really hit me. Wow. He's gone. He'll never see another movie of his. This, it it really hit me at that age when I was really getting into martial arts and obviously not the same as when it happened. No, there's no way it could be the the same impact, you know, for you back then, but it it took me that long to realize it. Yeah, it it was, it was truly unbelievable. And he's the reason for the martial arts craze. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will say he's the reason that, um, that I took it so serious. I would say Bruce Lee is the reason I took it so serious. My granddaughter, hallelujah, my granddaughter, she's 18 now, and she just graduated high school. She's a four-time all-conference wrestler, um, conference champion, conference champion probably, and she's still very feminine. And um, she was a gold medal winner in her division for gi and no gi jujitsu. Wow. So the martial arts in my family runs deep. I used to hit and trip and flip and play with my kids rough all day. Even my grandbaby right now, uh, Leah, she's she's two years old, but I'll go for her neck and she'll, you know what I mean? Put my face on her neck to tickle her and she knows how to block and use her shoulders and just natural um, self-defense. And that's what I grew to natural self-defense. And there's a reason for that. But when you ask me more questions, we'll get to that reason. Definitely. That's awesome. Okay, so then you said you, you, you were only able to stay in for a short time, but you kept practicing. So then how long was it or what age until you actually got to start official training again? They had something back in the days called BKF, Black Karate Federation. Yes. And I had uh, some buddies that were students with Mr. Bill, which was one of the top guys. Mm-hmm. And they would come home and we would go over the exercises that they learned. So it was like I was there, even if I wasn't there, you know, they would literally be in the garage and go over everything that they learned in class. I had a pretty high aptitude. I I was pretty smart. And there was an incident when I was maybe 15 years old. Now I'm still training. I'm still doing everything. I'm still practicing kicks, roundhouse kicks, crescent kicks, you name it. I'm doing it. There was a guy that I was yelling out of the car window. It's four friends, me and three other guys. And I'm yelling out of the car, just being funny, you know, yelling something that didn't even belong to the guy, just being funny, making the people in the car laugh. Mm -hmm. And the guy didn't like it. He swerves in front of us, makes the car pull over. He gets out the car and I'm karate, man. I said, I got this. And the guy comes up and I'm thinking, okay, 60, 40, I got this. This is going to be a practical application of what I'm doing. And remember, I grew up in a neighborhood called Centerview. Mm-hmm. So we used to slap box. Okay. We used to play fight. We used to shoot body, which is actual fist fighting, but you only go from the waist to the neck, you know, no face shots. So we had wrestling. We had all of the things that you need to defend yourself and protect yourself. And I became a big time guy. I ended up becoming the leader of my neighborhood. But in this particular incident, when I was 15, this guy jumps out of the car and he's a grown man. And I told the guys in the car, don't worry, I got this because I'm going to whoop this dude. I know how to use my feet. I know how to use my knees. I knew how to use everything. And he got close to me and he pulled out a big knife. Ooh. And when he pulled out this big knife, he said, excuse the language. He said, nigga, I'll kill you. 
And he swung the knife at me. And I said, please, please, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. And he and he read it back. And he said, nigga, don't you know what I'll do to you? And he did it again. I said, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. And he started cursing at me, told me, you need to learn who you met playing with, boy. You know, this, that, and the other. And uh, after that incident, I got away from Tang Sudo, Korean karate. Okay. And the reason I got away from Tang Sudo, Korean karate at that moment was that it was a stationary style. And I needed something that would be more fluid. I needed something that would be more natural. Something that I didn't have to use my memory to defend myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I was introduced to Taekwondo and Kung Fu. And with Taekwondo, I use Taekwondo exercises to this day, even though I've, I've grown to create my own system. I still use Taekwondo exercises. I still use Kung Fu exercises, you know, the circles and the, mm-hmm. the extension, meaning I don't have to wait for them to get close to me. I have adopted a theory where I use long-range weapons, mid-range weapons, in-tight weapons, which are like underwater weapons, which is like, you know, jiu-jitsu and ground fighting. So I went right back into serious training with books and my peers as soon as I left Chuck Norris Studio. So I never stopped formal training, if you mean by having a teacher to instruct me. Maybe I went away for a little while, okay. but I never stopped fighting once I started Tang Pseudo Karate. Never stopped. Okay. I'm 60 years old, and I, I was hoping that it would have been on TV, and I would have showed you my black belt with the six red sashes on it. Nice. Do you remember it? Because uh, Taekwondo is my core system. That's the style I've been in the longest of all my styles. Do you remember which which Kwan or which system of Taekwondo it was? No, I don't. But when I was in college, I would play with a man named Chun Lee. He was the highest ranking Taekwondo expert in the United States of America back in the 80s is what I believe. And um, my, you know, in college, you had different boosters that would take care of the athletes. And I had a booster named Jerry Collins. And Jerry um, was black belt. And he would work with me and we would study together. And I was like his student. I don't want to say I was his student because Mm -hmm. life was my teacher, but he was like my instructor. And he would do little things like throw a ball in the air and do a roundhouse kick and kick the ball. Yep. You know, um, one time he did that in Allen Fieldhouse, the famous Allen Fieldhouse where Kansas is. And um, he did a roundhouse kick, kicked the ball. I ran and got the ball. And when I got the ball, I threw the ball in the air and I did a roundhouse kick and I kicked the ball and I kicked it directly to him into his hands. Nice. And he said, he said, that is excellent. He said, you're better than I am now. It's nothing more I can teach you. Wow. And um, like in a movie. And Chun Lee. Now, let me let me give you the impression that Mr. Lee gave me. And you see, I call him Mr. Lee. Mm-hmm. Mr. Lee gave me the, this impression. Remember, I'm from Compton, Carson, California. I'm a football star at Kansas University. I'm, I'm learning martial arts from his student. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when he took me to meet Mr. Lee, Mr. Lee's wife, called him Mr. Lee. Wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. He called him Mr. Lee. And I'm like, well, hey, and, and I'm going to tell you what I remember about him. He would hang frying pans up, like the big black metal frying pans. Mm-hmm. And he would hit the frying pans and the knuckles on his hands were at least, I don't want to exaggerate, I'll say two inches. He had two inches of callus or whatever on his knuckles. Wow. And he could hit that frying pan like it was wood. He could hit it like like it was a cushion on your couch. Wow. wow. That was Chun Lee. And so I would go see him maybe 10 times in the summer. Okay. You know, 
and I've been trying to find Jerry Collins. I wonder how he is. Uh, I, I lost contact with him. I hope he's not passed away. He, he, when he and his wife divorced, I lost contact with him. Did you ever get involved in the uh, competition side of martial arts at all? So now when I became an American gladiator, Mm-hmm. I had my uniform retired in Planet Hollywood. And so I needed something to do now because, you know, I'm going to need a way to make money. So my manager at the time, Adam Jordan, he wrote a letter, put a letter together for the UFC. And maybe I can find that letter and take a photo of it and send it to you. That'd be cool. And we asked the UFC to let me fight in the tournament. And at the time, it was the tournaments where you have maybe 10 fighters, eight fighters. Yep. I wanted to fight in the UFC. And um, they hit back and said that they had got some inquiries from other athletes and that maybe they'll do an athletic one, but stay tuned. And so I never got to fight in the UFC, but I wanted to fight in the UFC. Wow. And by this time, I was really into my own theories. You know, I adopted what, what I thought worked and I got rid of things that did not work. When I did Mortal Kombat Annihilation, I would say I was the baddest dude on earth from the age of 29 to 40. I was the baddest dude on earth, bar none. I I could run all day. I could throw punches fast. I could take a punch. And there was an incident when I was with Mortal Kombat where Robin Shu, who was in the first Mortal Kombat, he and I would butt heads a little bit because Robin wanted me to fight like him. But I'm a 225-pound man, and if I tried to do the little dainty kicks that he did, and you see that I'm not sharp with it, it would taint the image of me, meaning you would say, oh, he don't really know nothing. That's stuff he he learned in the studio. And so we would have these disagreements. Now, I won't say the arguments. I'll say disagreements. So to teach me a lesson, he sends me to Master No-No Jiu-Jitsu. He's a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He's an instructor out of Hermosa Beach, California. and Master Nono is giving me this speech before we start lessons. And he says, this style is 3,000 years old. I am but a grain of sand on an ocean of sand when it comes to this style. So he's giving me the speech to humble me. And I understand it's me, him, and two of his students. They were black belts. And he's telling me about jujitsu. And he says, in jujitsu, once we have you on the ground, that is our world. And it's over for a person that does not know what he's doing on the ground. It's like being underwater. And a person that cannot swim is going to be at a distinct disadvantage over a person that can swim. So he's he's giving me these lessons. Now, let me tell you this, Mr. Doucette. Mm -hmm. I had graduated in my own teaching system to where, now listen to this. You're going to be the first to release this. And and I may be giving away secrets, but I'm 60 now. Okay? Uh, Okay. I believe... In involuntary reflex systems, involuntary reflex system is a system where if you got stuck in your butt cheek with a needle, you're going to jump as soon as you get stuck Mm -hmm. with that needle. It's an involuntary reflex. Okay. When you get through with this interview, go in your shower, make sure that the water's warm and then open your eyes under the water. And when you open your eyes under the water, your eyelids will close because that's an involuntary reflex sensor. Yep. Our bodies has systems set up to make sure that before what is happening actually registers, your body will put you out of harm's way. Those are involuntary reflex sensors. So now when Master Nono gives me these speeches, he tells me to get on the ground. 
Oh, let me let me go one more lead up before mm-hmm. this. Um, my kids, who I've already been teaching, they were maybe 13, 14 years old, and I'm already teaching them martial arts. They're very good at this time. My kids are all black belt equivalent, including my daughter. Nice. My kids are nervous because I have to go see Master No-No this evening. And they said, why are you nervous, Daddy? I said, because I'm self-taught. And so if I have any flaws or weaknesses, he's going to expose them, you know? And so we get down on the ground. After he gives me his speeches, he puts me on the ground. And he has two students there. One was a big guy and the other one was a bigger guy. Mm. So he made the big guy get on me. And he says he puts me in the guard. I'm on my back and he's on top of me in the guard. And he says, from this position, it's over. You cannot get out of this position here if the person on the top has you in the guard and it's no way for you to get out of here. He said, okay. So now when I say go, I want you to get up. I said, okay, here we go. And in my mind, I'm saying, ain't no way in the world you're going to keep me on the ground, you know? Mm-hmm. So he says, go. As soon as he says go, I pushed the palm into his rib cage. And then after I took the palm away, I put a knuckle into his rib cage and he almost jumped off of me. <laughs> and so when he did that, Master Nono said, stop. So now Master Nono gets on top of me. And now I'm excited because I was disappointed when he put the student on me. I wanted to learn from Master Nono himself. Mm-hmm. So now Master Nono gets on top of me and he puts me in the guard. And we fought and we, we played with each other for, ooh, I don't know how long it was, but I was exhausted and, and he was exhausted. And I'm not going to say anything on this radio broadcast to be disrespectful, but I left there feeling like I was the baddest man in the world. Nice. And what Master Nono taught me in that session finished my growing. I, I knew what I needed to know from that moment on. That's awesome. He, 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 helped, he helped finish me. And had I got an opportunity to fight in the ultimate fighter, I would have been able to handle myself pretty well. I believe that. I kind of wish you would have, man. I would have loved to see it. <laughs> so would I. So would I. I could take a punch. I could run all day. So conditioning wasn't a problem. Getting knocked out wouldn't have been a problem. And once Master Nono finished playing with me and taught me the ground stuff, I knew what I needed to do and what I didn't need to do, what position to be in and what position not to be in. So that's it. So then the, the system you created, your own does your system have an official name and does it, I mean, you have other students yes, or pretty does. much yes, just your family? Yes it, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And I don't have a trademark for it, Okay, but I'll give it to you because we can use this recording to let everybody know that it's mine, right? Definitely. You could probably be able to prove that in a court of law Easily. that yep. it's my system, correct? Yes. Okay, so the name of my system is called Body Warfare. Nice, I like and that. With, and with Body Warfare, we have long-range weapons, which are like the kicks. We have mid-range weapons, which would be like your fists and elbows. We have ground weapons, which are like, you know, the jujitsu mm-hmm. and the sambo, Russian sambo that I know. And it's an all-encompassing system that teaches you that listen to me, when I kill somebody in the streets by accident, because of course you don't really try to kill them and listen to my mindset, mm-hmm. I'm not fighting a person to kill them. I'm fighting a machine that has malfunctioned and is trying to hurt me. So I, mis- I need to disable the machine. Nice. That way I do not have to get emotionally involved in this machine that is malfunctioning. I like that. It's a good way of thinking. So if we get into a, a kerfuffle and you don't know me and I don't know you, 
I'm really going to try to break the machine. Well, you tried to break his neck. No, I tried to stop the machine from hurting me. I tried to stop the machine from doing irreparable damage to me or my loved ones. Mm -hmm. So that's how I teach my kids. It's not a person. It's a machine. And you need to understand that the machine is not going to stop and you need to be smart with the machine. Stay outside of the machine's weapons, you know. So if I can get on the outside where your elbow is, I'm going to stay out there. I know then that your other attacks have to come from the backside, which is another elbow or knee or spinning something. You understand? Right. So, yeah, body warfare is the name of my system. Analytical street fighting. I will be getting promoted to my seventh degree in a new system called Accelerated um, Street Combat. Nice. From Professor Carl Collins, who works out of USC. He's actually been there for a while, and I've actually taught some of his classes up at USC over the years. Listen to this. Conor McGregor, I have Mm -hmm. to bring his name up only because he talks a lot, but some of his philosophies I have adopted. I taught my kids speed first and the power will come. Mm -hmm. That came from Bruce Lee, which means that you don't have to sit down on your punches. Just touch, 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 touch. And once you get ready, once you can touch it regularly, then you can put something on it to to put them to sleep. You understand? Mm -hmm. And do you know what Conor McGregor said that made me go, whoa, and it trumps Bruce Lee's Speed first and the power will come. Conor McGregor said, timing beats speed. Whoa. Yeah, I would agree. And he said, and he said, accuracy beats power. I'm like, oh my goodness. If you really know fighting, those are magnificent words because I didn't use those words, but that's what I taught my kids. You got certain systems that a person has to react when you hit them there, right. when you touch them there. I taught the students at USC when I when he allowed me to be a guest instructor to use a four-finger thump, like you would thump with your middle finger. Mm-hmm. Or a four-finger thump you could use against a person's nose, and they would have to react to that nose thump. Nice. That's all you need to be able to get an advantage to be able to win the war or get away. You feel me? Mm-hmm. So with that thump that I know I'm getting ready to do, that four-finger thump, wham. As soon as I do that four-finger thump and I know he's going to react, I'm going to go either strong left or strong right. And I'm going to be outside of his frontal uh, attack. And I can literally be behind him if I wanted to and stay there. He would have to turn around to get me. And when he turns around to get me, I'm going to stay behind him. So it's little tricks like that that allow you to fight. I would have liked to have had the opportunity to use some of these theories in the UFC. Oh, agreed. Yeah, definitely. So now, do you pretty much only teach your kids, your family, or have you actually yeah. brought on other yeah. students too? I had a neighbor, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, but for the most part, I done, I never opened up a studio and um, I never did it for sale. So okay. my children are very good. I've had people come over to spar with my kids and they had a problem with my kids because my kids don't look at them. You know what I mean? My kids look through them. Mm-hmm. And so they would never know where the attack was coming from. My son, my oldest son, he started training with some Muay Thai and he really liked Muay Thai. And I was playing with my son about maybe 10, 12 years ago. And he checked one of my kicks and it felt like he broke my shin. Wow. <laughs> He felt like he chipped a piece of bone on my shin, but that's the Muay Thai training. Mm-hmm. They had some pretty good things like rolling a, a stick up and down your shin to make them harder, yeah. you know, some little tr- So that's it. Yeah. Mostly okay. my friends and family, never any strangers. 
That's good though. That's nothing wrong with that. So I'm just curious, you know, we talked a little bit about it. You mentioned American Gladiators, you mentioned uh, Mortal Kombat. How did the Hollywood thing start for you? Just kind of what, what led you in that direction? All right. Now this is a true story. Mm -hmm. I broke my back with the San Diego Chargers in 1988. I was depressed. I was working as a medical marketing representative for Cigna Health Plan. And that's where I met Quentin Tarantino because Quentin Tarantino's mom was um, the executive vice president of Cigna Health Plan. Nice. So we became friends and Quentin was was really, really entertaining when it comes to the entertainment industry. But I'm thinking I, I need to make some money for my wife and my three kids. I really need to make some money. So with that in mind, I, I, I'm plotting to do unlawful stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I'm plotting to do whatever is necessary to feed my family because the money was coming slow with the Cigna Health Plan. And my wife watched a show with the kids called The American Gladiators. And she comes home and she tells me she heard on the radio that they were having tryouts for The American Gladiators. She said, tomorrow. So I didn't have time to specially prepare anything. And um, I got in line and the line wrapped around the block and they brought us in in groups of five. And at the end of the day, they said, thank you. About three weeks later, I'm in a $50,000 bench crest. Wow. They called me and said that they had a call back for a couple of the people that tried out a month or so earlier. After that Coliseum battle with me and two other guys, one of them was a pretty famous fitness guy named Mike O'Hearn. They invited me to do the national tour. I went on tour for 10 weeks. I came home for two weeks, after two weeks, for three days to get my affairs in order because they wanted me to stay on tour. The riots broke out, the Los Angeles riots. I got to play in the riots for three days. And then I went back and joined them on the road. And after the tour, they asked me to do the television show. And so the creator, I pray to Yahweh, and the creator, Heavenly Father Yahweh, he, um, he looked out for me because he says, my son is about to go down a road that he doesn't need to go down. He has potential to be a positive contribution in the world. And so he sent me the American Gladiators. And I wrote that for six seasons, five seasons, actually. And then they showed it the last season an extra year. Mm -hmm. And then from there, Mortal Kombat and then the movie The Hulk that ended up getting scratched. But that was the Hollywood thing. Yep. But I, I, I didn't really feel the Hollywood movement because certain things and roles that they wanted me to play, I didn't want to play. Okay. And it was just not spiritually for the rebirth that I went through. I wasn't willing to do certain things. It's got to fit into your beliefs and what you want to do. So that's, that's good. But I, I do love when I was reading through it, when it sons of thunder that, you know, the spinoff of Walker, Texas Ranger, that's, I loved those characters yeah. and I loved that show. And I was so sad when they said it didn't get picked up. Yeah. I actually went, went back and watched your episode recently. So. <laughs> hey, and did you see who I was playing with? Jim McMahon, you were young. Jim McMahon oh, was yes. the quarterback of the 85 Bears, <laughs> and uh, he's a Super Bowl champion, and he is a very fun guy. I made friends with him, and we'll probably be friends forever, you know? <laughs> That's some of the blessings that come with this life. So I, I have a, a funny Jim McMahon story. I've told it one time on the podcast because you, you know who Bill Superfoot Wallace is. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yep. Yes, I do. So I, in 1990 or 91, I was at a tournament in Minneapolis, the Diamond Nationals, and we went there to see Bill Wallace. He was doing a seminar. And then the morning after the seminar, we were out in the, the vendor area where all the comp, like Century Martial Arts, they all had their tables set up. 
and me and my friend are walking around and, and he looked across the table or he looked across the room and he saw Jim McMahon and my friend was a huge football fan. You know, I, I told you I wasn't, I knew who he was cause he was in the movie Johnny B. Good. That's the only reason I knew who he was, <laughs> but my friend's like, Oh my God, that's Jim McMahon. And, and so we walked over there and he walked up to Jim McMahon. He's like, Mr. McMahon, I'm a big fan. And I was wondering if I can have your autograph. And Jim McMahon looked at him and said, I'm not here for that kid and just walked away. just ignored him. <laughs> and about 10 minutes later, we were by one of the tables and Bill Wallace was standing there. And we kind of said hi. He recognized us from the seminar the night before. And about five minutes later, Jim McMahon comes walking up to Bill Wallace. And he's like, oh, Mr. Wallace, I'm a huge fan. I followed your career. I was wondering if I can get an autograph. And Bill looked over at us and winked. And he looked at Jim McMahon and said, I'm not here for that kid. And he walked away. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> we're just like, exactly. So it was just hilarious. It was like, okay, that was kind of funny. But yeah, yeah, that's, I, I definitely know who Jim McMahon is. The sunglasses, the spiked hair. So <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's cool. That's really awesome. So then the other thing I wanted to ask you is now you said you only teach your your kids and stuff and your kids are older now. So I'm just curious. Normally I ask this to people who have taught in schools, but you've still been teaching for a long time. Thinking back to when you first started teaching your kids when they were really little to now you're, you're teaching your grandkids even. What do you think has changed about your teaching style? That now I use more exercises and I use more conversation with repetitious attacks, meaning that now, as opposed to making them stand in line and go, now I make them stand there and say, okay, man, here I come. And I have a grandson. His name is Liam. He's Mm -hmm. 11 years old. He likes to call himself a pre pre preteen. You know, they always want to grow up faster than they are. (laughs) Of course. But he has the best kicks in the world because he's been kicking since he was little. He saw his dad and he saw his granddad, his grandpappy do all these kicks. So he's always wanted to do these kicks. And so he could do spinning roundhouse kicks and pick the cup off the top of a table. He can do all these fantastic kicks, but the practical application is what he needs. So I constantly attack my kids. Okay, I'm coming for you and I'm going to snatch your wrist. Don't let me snatch your wrist. And then when I snatch the wrist, how did you let me get the wrist? Get away. So now while they're trying to get away, I'm not letting them go. And I'm not letting you go because I told you what I was going to do. And so my son would cheer out things. Let me tell you something that, that, I, that I taught my kids mm-hmm. that I didn't learn in martial arts. My son was when I was this was just last week. I'm attacking his son and I'm trying. I, I grabbed him. And I'm tying him up in a knot. Every time he moves a leg, I'm going to get on the outside of that leg and tie him up in his own knot. He's going to tie his own self up. My son starts telling him, attack a finger, a finger. You don't need a whole hand. And sure enough, he started going for my fingers. And that would make me adjust my grip. Those are the things that we need to teach. The real street fighting things that Mm -hmm. you need, like attacking a finger, attacking a thumb, not just a hand. It's not all about throwing punches. It's not all about blocking punches. Sometimes in a real street fight, you need to be able to bend the finger backwards. You need to be able to stump the back of his Achilles heel. You need to be able to do things that's going to make him adjust so that you can be on top. And right. those are the things that I, would, I teach now. I teach practical application. I want them to do the exercises because the exercises allows you to be capable of doing what you need to do when you're in battle. So if you say I need to kick him on top of his chin, because every time he steps to me, he lowers that left shoulder. So I need to kick like I'll look at you and throw a kick that you you honestly believe is going to come down before you know it. You're hit on your chin and they wake you up and say what and you say what happened. They'll say he kicked you in your chin. 
And you say, how? Because Bill Superfood Wallace was fast with his feet and he could kick you in your hip and your face and then still be in perfect form and condition. So those are the same pseudo and Taekwondo type exercises that I still teach my kids, but those I use those only for exercises. Okay. The theories are what's important. The theories, like being outside of the elbow, that's important. My granddaughter, I told you she was an all-conference wrestler three mm-hmm. times, and there were some girls that were stronger than her, and there were some girls that were meaner than her, and you could tell had more testosterone than her, but she was smart. I had a referee one time tell my granddaughter, let her elbow go. And he shouldn't have said that. I called her elbow. Mm-hmm. Once I get your elbow and I get outside of you, I can control you because yep. you can't bend your arm that way. You understand? Mm-hmm. So there are certain things that I teach my kids and my grandkids. And the reason I didn't want to teach the world is because this should be our secret weapon is that the exercises are good. But like Bruce Lee said, no, Hoist Gracie. You see, I take these words from all these good fighters. Hoist Gracie said, these guys come in here and they say, I'm going to put him on the ground and then I'm going to beat his face and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. He said, that's not a fight plan. He said, those are wishes. (laughs) Those are wishes. So you have to be open for every type of attack because remember, it is self-defense. But in my self-defense, you can be violent with your self-defense, meaning you're defending yourself, but you're trying to end it in every possible way. I'm trying to bend your arm backwards. I'm trying to hit you in your, your juggler to make you dizzy. I'm trying to slap you in your chest to make your heart skip. I'm trying to elbow you in your um, shoulder blade to make you arch your back. And as soon as you arch your back, I'm going to hit you in your solar plexus. You know, uh, we're thinking. We're putting you in what we, listen to this. We're putting you in what we call a reactionary chain of events. So if I can put you in a reactionary chain of events, I can end the war. So I poke them in the nose. I hit you in your throat. I hit you in your solar plexus. All of these are things that you have to react to. I nudged you in your nuts. And now you are still reacting to those things that I just gave you. And now I can choke you. Now I can can kick you in your chin and run away. I can stomp real hard on your knee and make it bend backwards. You know, so Mm -hmm. I want all of my students to be able to put their opponents in what we call a reactionary chain of events, a poke, a poke, a poke, a poke. And you have to be expecting the reaction in order for you to be in position to win. Just like in chess. If I know I'm going to put this rook here and you're going to take this rook with this pawn and -hmm. you thought I made a mistake, now I can go in with my knight and set up a position now where you got to sacrifice your queen, but I gave up a rook. Oh, well. That's awesome. So the reactionary chain of events is what body warfare is based on a reactionary chain of events. And that's a terminology that I've been using with my family for 25 years. I love the, I love the way your mind works. That's awesome. So you've talked a little bit about like the UFC, how you wish you could have fought it and stuff. So I'm just curious now with like modern day UFC, are you, are you a fan? Yes. Okay. I am. For, for a while I stopped watching the UFC. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the business side of it. Right. Um, but I'm, a, I'm definitely a fan of hand to hand combat. I think in the neighborhoods, we need to put down the guns and the weapons when it comes to each other. You know, in the old days, you could have a fist fight and then go have a drink with the guy that you just had a fight with and you have respect for each other. Now, everybody wants to have guns and, and, and have no semblance of valor. Good philosophy. Speaking of philosophies, in, in all your years, your, through martial arts, through, through life, through football, through everything you've gone through, is there one philosophy that stands out for you? It's just super important at the top of your list. Yes. Master yourself. If you can master yourself, 
you're that much closer to being able to master someone else. You can master no one else if you do not master yourself. So I teach my kids, my grandkids now who are, who are 11 and 12, you need to be able to do this many push-ups. You need to do this many squats. When they finish practicing, you need to run two more laps. You need to do it. You know why? Because in battle, you can say, well, I don't think he runs two more miles after he's done like I do. So I got it. And there's a level of tiredness that I have had in my training that when I get into battles, I never reach that level of exhaustion. So I know I still have more left in the tank. So you have to be able to master yourself. And I teach my kids more than weight training, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, fall down, get up, hop down, fall up. You know, the things that you don't plan for, Mm -hmm. fall on the ground and get up real fast. Do that 20 times and watch how exhausted you are. But I bet you the next guy that you're going to fight, he doesn't practice falling down and getting up. Yep. Master yourself. And that way you'll be that much closer to mastering somebody else. That's what they were teaching us with these exercises that they give us over and over again. This kick, this kick, this kick, this kick, this kick. That way, if you ever need that kick, it'll be on call. And through practical application, you won't even need to think about it. Like Bruce Lee said, oh, man, like mm-hmm. Enter the Dragon. You saw it on the screen. Remember when Bruce Lee said, and then I don't even have to think about it. It's all by itself. Yep. Yep. All by itself. That's awesome. So you train yourself to be a weapon. Agreed. All right. I have a few fun questions to wrap it up here. Now this one, it doesn't have to be four. I've had as few as two and as many as eight. It's completely up to you. Who are some names that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? Uh, Bruce Lee. Nice. Off the top. Uh, Jim Kelly, because him being in Enter the Dragon, even though he got killed, it let us know that it was something special. Not to mention in that movie, he was at the BKF studio. And so that just just included me. That included me there. Uh, Donnie Yen. I think that the way he carries himself in his martial arts movies, that calmness, like when he plays It Man, Mm -hmm. I, I think that it exudes what needs to be there. And I can only have four. No, you can have more than four. Like I said, I've had people give as many as eight. Okay, as many as eight. All right, here we go. So then I'm going to put Stephen Chow in there. Nice. Stephen Chow is um, is a visionary in my mind. And when I was still in the business, I saw his movie um, Shaolin Soccer oh, so and <laughs> and it, what the, the the imagery was cool, but his mind, mm-hmm. little things that he did in his fight sequences that were that were phenomenal, that were truly phenomenal. Did you ever see Kung Fu Hustle? Oh, yeah. Loved it. Yep. Okay. You remember when you remember when they were sitting at the casino table and he said, he said, I only came to 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 fight. And she, she said, well, we didn't come for that. We only came for the for the gang. And then they said, well, it does say that good cannot coexist with bad. OK, let's do this. And they stole on him <laughs> and they hit him up high and at the bottom of his face. And he said, that's good. He said, but your accuracy is off a little. Oh, wow. <laughs> Remember, I just gave you that philosophy about accuracy beats power, right? Yep. Yeah, so so Stephen Child with his philosophies, I like him. So he goes up there. Um, Raymond Child. Nice. He was a martial arts producer. Yep. And if it's all Golden Harvest or Raymond Child on the screen, you knew it was going to be a great movie. Definitely. You knew it was going to be a great movie. Chuck Norris. Yep. Because Chuck Norris made America something in the eyes of the world. He did. Chuck Norris to this day is looked at as 
a tough guy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? He's looked as a, as a tough guy, a clean guy, a guy who did it the right way. And he deserves to be there because of what he did for America. Not to mention him being in Return of the Dragon and the way Bruce Lee gave him respect after defeating him. Yeah. It put him on the all-time list. Yep. And let me see if I can think. Oh, um, here we go. You said I can have as many as eight. And that was four. Uh, Hoist Gracie. Nice. Uh, Hoist Gracie, because Hoist Gracie, he was a, a thin man. If you saw him in the street, you bump into him, you think, man, I'm going to knock this little skinny dude out. <laughs> Before you know it, you're waking up and they saying, what happened? He said he choked you out and he broke your arms. <laughs> Hoist Gracie is the reason the UFC is so big right now. He mm-hmm. is. Single-handedly, Hoist Gracie is. He took on everybody that wanted to fight and showed why he was the best because he smothered you. I had a fight plan to fight Hoist if it was my turn. Nice. Um, we had a, when I left Mortal Kombat, I had some people that were going to give me financing, a couple million dollars. We were going to rent, this is the plan. We were going to rent the LA Sports Arena. We were going to have five fights on the card. I mean, uh, yeah, five fights on the card. And I wanted to fight Hickson Gracie because Ooh. Hickson Gracie was a very exciting fighter. Yeah. He was like Hoist on super energy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And now my, my desires to fight these people come from a place of respect, mm-hmm. not disrespect. Yeah. But Hoist would be on, on the Mount Rushmore. Bruce Lee, I said, but he helped me put uh, Muhammad Ali on the board. Nice. And now Bruce Lee talked about how he liked boxing because it was a fluid style. Because you danced and you moved around and you didn't have to be in a stationary position. And I told you how firsthand I learned that when that man pulled a knife on me, mm-hmm. put Mike Tyson, uh, Muhammad Ali on there. Uh, Mike Tyson was a was a guy when he came to hand to hand combat. He made everybody in the world get in front of the TV mm-hmm. and his fights only lasted two or three minutes. And yep. we knew it was only going to last two or three minutes, but we still paid our fifty dollars yep. for it to happen. So off the top. I'll give you those. Those are that's, that's six or seven. So those are the ones I put on the Mount Rushmore. And if I had to put some later, I would. But those are the ones that I would put on off the top. Mike Tyson. That's a great Mount Rushmore. Bruce Lee, uh, Stephen Chow, Raymond Chow, Donnie Yen, and Chuck Norris. Wow. Yeah, that, that would be my Mount Rushmore of fighters. Yeah, I like it. Not just martial artists, but fighters. Yeah. That's good. All right. How about a favorite martial arts book? The Tao of Jeet Kune Do. I knew you were going to say that. Mine too. I Did love you it. know that? Oh, yeah. Did you know as that? much as a Bruce Lee fan as you were, if you didn't, I would have been disappointed, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Get down. And now you know where I got that book from? No. I got it from Larry Kasanoff, who was the producer of the Mortal Kombat movie. Wow. Yes, sir. I got that, that, that book from him. Okay. And, you know, it was a lot more technical than you would think. Yeah. It wasn't just, uh, it was a real technical book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. That's a great book. I, I, I bought it. I think I saved up from one of my first high school job and, and bought it when I was 16. Okay. That's well, good. look, knowing about that book, it should at least put me in a category, okay, he's real. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yes, sir. Now, now, earlier you mentioned the Atari 5200. So do you have a favorite martial arts video game? Were you ever into games like that? Yes, I yes I was. And I apologize for the world hearing this. Of course, I like Mortal Kombat. It, it helped me feed my kids. Of course. But when I was in Japan, when I was a gladiator, I called my kids long distance and told them that I'm bringing a game home. And the game that I brought home was called Tekken. Nice. I love Tekken. And that Tekken game, 
just blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have to say, if I had to have one game on an island, and I know this is probably really horrible me saying this, right? Being mm -hmm. Jax from Mortal Kombat, <laughs> but, but Tekken stole my heart. Tekken, when that came out, I worked in retail. I worked at an electronics department of a retail store when that came out, and we had it set up as a demo. And you, we had to like ask kids to leave because like other people wanted to try it. They'd stand there for three yeah. hours while their parents were grocery shopping and and, and play Tekken. It's like such a such and, and such a know, game changer. The Tekken game that I played in Japan, it was a life size game. Mm -hmm. Wow. So yeah, six foot tall characters. That's kind of cool. Wow. Yes, it is. So then how about, now this one, you can't pick one that you were on at all. A favorite martial arts TV show. Oh, guess what? You might not have known this one. Mm -hmm. The Badlands. Oh, Into the Badlands. So yes, good. Sir. Into the Badlands. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. Only like yes, three people. I think only three people have said that one. And I can't believe more people don't say that. It's so good. When you get a chance. I want you to just for me, and you can call me back on a personal note, or you mm -hmm. can do a five minute thing. I want you to go back and watch the opening 10 minutes of that show. Yeah. And watch how clever the fight scene is in that opening scene. He, he, he knocked the guy down and put his foot up and made the guy's throat land on his foot. Yep. I watched that about three yes, weeks sir. ago. <laughs> yes, yes, I love yes, that sir. show. So into the badlands. All right. Same rule with this one. Can't pick one you've been in. Favorite martial arts movie. Enter the Dragon, man, the greatest martial arts movie ever made. But I will give a, I will give a runner-up to Kung Fu Hustle. See, and for me, Enter, Enter the Dragon's number two, and the only reason it's number two is I always pick Karate Kid because that's the reason I got into martial arts. Yeah, and it and it ha it was kind of like you said when when Enter the Dragon started that martial arts movement. I think Karate Kid kicked off another one in the eighties. I mean that. <laughs> yeah. Did you like the new one with Will Smith's son? Did you like that one? I liked it as a movie. I wish they wouldn't have called it Karate Kid because, first of all, they were doing Kung Fu. <laughs> so it okay. shouldn't have been called the Karate Kid. So I, I liked it as a movie, and I love Jackie Chan. Uh, I just okay. wish they, I wish they wouldn't have called it Karate Kid. I, I really and, do. And you, know, you know what? You know what? You just said that. Mm -hmm. I might have to put Jackie Chan in the lobby of the Mount Rushmore uh, resort there you because go. he did a lot for the game, didn't he? He did a lot for the game. Yeah. He did definitely. a lot for the game. So he gave us he gave his life to the game. So yes. I'll put you up there, Jackie. I'll there put you, you up there. But I tell you, I I do love the new series Cobra Kai just because of how much I loved Karate Kid. I I love Cobra Kai. I watch it with my daughter. Now, do they still have new episodes of Cobra Kai? The, well, the new the final season it, it hasn't come out yet because of the strike. So they're hoping it'll come out in 2024 because the writers just came to their agreement, and hopefully the actors will come to their agreement soon, and we can have the final season in 2024. So fingers crossed. So so, so maybe 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 I'll catch up now because I quit watching it um, for no reason other than. You know, the drama, man. Yeah. You know, and all the, you know, I'm 60 now. So, yeah, man. it's, it's cheesy, but I just, I, I love the nostalgia. That's what I watch it for. So, yes, <laughs> it's fun. No, all right. Final martial arts question. Now, this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie, just a favorite movie fight scene. Any movie. Okay. Let me think. Favorite movie fight scene. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent question. All right, everybody out there in Radio Land, give me a minute to think about this because I don't <laughs> want to say something and say I wish I would have said something else. My favorite fight movie of all time would have to be, mm, would have to be, okay, check this out. Okay. They're seen in um, a movie called, they call me Trinity. Oh, 
Yes. <laughs> when they called me the Trinity. Western, yeah. Yes, sir. And the man was drawing a gun on Trinity, and Trinity was able to slap him up and not have to kill him. So I, I, I like that fight scene. So that's cool. Uh, I'll say that one just to make people look it up. I like that. Uh, yeah. I, I, God, I, I forgot. My dad loved that movie, and I kind of forgot about that. So I might have to rewatch that one now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a scene in the bar, <laughs> the bar scene. My final question, this one's not Marshall. I'm just curious. And I know with, with all the returned hype now of American gladiators, and I, it's always kind of been there and always been popular, but with, you know, with both documentaries coming out now and, and how popular it's becoming again, if they were to reboot it and say, Hey, we want you to come back and be a judge or be a, be a, a co-host or something. You think you'd ever want to go back to that world? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would. Nice. I think that I think they would have to have some of us old heads just to keep it to me because when they tried to reboot it with the wrestling people, it didn't have the same. Yeah. I mean, I liked Hulk Hogan, but just not on that show. I thought Layla Ali did good. I just, I, Hulk was not the right choice. I think, I think that since it is reality mm-hmm. and since it is, you just like in football, you have related sportscasters and, and announcer, we need that same type of thing in the gladiator world. Agreed. So we know what we're talking about. We say, well, I know what he experienced here, you know. So, yeah, I, I would do it. I would be a part of it. In whatever capacity they ask me to be a part of it, I would be a part You and Mike Adamley together. Kind of cool. You know, shout out to Mike. Now, I hear that he's not doing real well in terms of his cognitive skills. Oh, man, really? That's too bad. If, I, if I'm saying something that's incorrect mm-hmm. or rude, I apologize, but I love you, Mike. Mike gave me tickets once to the Rose Bowl that his school, Northwestern, was in. Oh, wow. With my two sons and my nephew. And there was a guy up in the stand that lit a cigarette because he didn't want to go down to smoke the cigarette. Mm-hmm. So I walked to the guy and I said, hey, man, if you don't put that cigarette out, I'm going to throw the soda in your face. <laughs> put the cigarette out. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. I love it. I love it. Well, Red, I, I, first of all, just from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you. I, I, I just, I, this has been so much fun. I seriously, I love the way your mind works. I love the way your thought process on how you, how you look at martial arts. I, I, I love it. It's, it's very, it's, it's refreshing, and it's, and I'm so glad you're. I'm, I'm so, I, you know, I'm, I'm sad that you don't have a full school and a lot of students, but I'm glad that you're passing it on to your own family, so someone, someone can keep it going and carry it on and. And, and keep it, you know, keep it evolving and stuff. But that's, it's, it's, I love that. And I, it's been such a blast talking to you and hearing about you. And, and like I said, been, been a fan ever since American Gladiators. I love it. And I'm so happy when I found out you were a martial artist. So it, it's, it's been so much fun and, and I can't wait to get the episode out for people to hear. For the, you out there in radio land, uh, Lynn Red Williams eats, sleeps and drinks martial arts. I'm older now. So my exercise regimen is not as diligent as I would like it to be because just like the commercial says, after the age of 40, your testosterone slows down. And, <laughs> and the things that you used to want to do, you just don't do it as much. But but I think about fighting. I think about all the time. I think about it all the time. I watch things on the, on the streets and it's a wonderful way for families to connect. And it gives you confidence that you don't have to go and be the loudest man in the room. Right. Or Good. loudest woman in the room. Yeah. I love it. Well, once well, thank again, thank you, man. If you need me again, please just holler at me. Give me, just work with me, you know, schedule wise. Oh yeah, please, definitely. Definitely. Like I said, I, I, I truly, truly appreciate your time and the time you've given us. And, and like I said, I think it's going to be a great episode and I can't wait for people to hear it. And, and you just, thanks again and enjoy the rest of your evening, sir. Thank you very much. And take care of yourself. Okay. 
Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.